Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Denver Nuggets are your world champions. First world championship in franchise history. As the Nuggets hold off a game Miami Heat team in game five of the NBA Finals last night, Nuggets get the gentleman's sweep for the world championship. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. Joining me inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, of course, is the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlo. we got a great show lined up for you today. Here's the three guests we got on tap. Brett Chancey from the Locked On Astros podcast. Stros have been on the struggle bus of late. Alvarez is on the IL. What does Brett believe ails this team and can they turn things around he'll join us at seven o'clock at eight o'clock ron higgins the mad dog the award-winning columnist from tiger details will join us to recap lsu's super regional win over kentucky and look ahead to the college world series and then finally at 8 30 ollie cassell editor-in-chief of the bird rights will join us to give his finishing thoughts on the NBA Finals, as well as the rumor that came out yesterday, the report by Shams, which is like getting a Woj bomb, that the Pels are interested in trading up in the top three or the top four of the draft. Well, last time I checked on their assets, that's going to require probably trading an all-star. Dawson disagrees. I didn't disagree. I was just kind of thinking through it in my head. I don't know about All-Star, but certainly a player that contributes on your team right now, yes. I, I know Pels fans want them just to be able to trade Valachunas and a bunch of picks to go from 14 all the way up to three. If I'm one of those teams in the top three, top four, I'm saying no thank you. I'm saying, oh, you you think this guy that you're going to draft with our pick is going to be a uh, foundation piece and a perennial all-star do you uh, okay we'd like one of your all-stars back please just saying just saying and there's been some people in new orleans have floated that idea about a week and a half ago of would the pels trade one of their all-stars let's make it clear what are we all-star are we just referring to zion and bi is Correct. that the one of those two guys yeah i I'd be I'd be pretty frustrated if they did that, but we'll see. It's a long way away. Those reports happen a lot this time of year. We'll see. They do. They do. Now, I didn't think anything of it when I heard it about a week and a half ago, but when Shams gets one of those reports, you go, uh, 
what? That's it's intriguing. I wouldn't do it, but you never do know about David Graham. <laughs> Look, if he can figure out a way to take a bunch of guys and a bunch of picks and somehow move up and get a top four pick this year, Paul, and not have to give up Zion and B.I., bravo. I just, I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. But we'll dive into that as well today here on RP3 and Company. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We'll also get to the full College World Series field that's now in place. One game that was delayed and delayed ended out in a non-dramatic shutout. The other one, just a brutal way to end a game. And to keep yourself from playing in the College World Series. That is all on tap for this hour. But we got to start off about the NBA Finals. 94-89 win for the Denver Nuggets as they win the series four games to one. It's their first NBA Finals championship. And... Jokic was phenomenal. Denver was really, really good. And and once again, it's the story about this team. And we keep repeating ourselves. Because Denver is just so darn consistent. They have good coaching. And you look at their roster and how they've done it. You have the franchise player in Jokic who was, how about just just going 12 of 16 from the field? How about just being wildly efficient? Because that's what he always does. How do you stop him? That's the thing. I was watching the game last night. I go, you just have to hope he has a bad night. Or, I mean, you know, there's been a couple different things that have worked to get games off of him, and I guess, you know, kind of making him, making them a little more one-dimensional, trying to force them to run the, you know, run their stuff a certain way, but they're so versatile, too. That's the funny thing about it. Now, Denver was, was pretty pedestrian offensively, if not poor last night, and I was listening to the radio broadcast on the way home, and, you know, they, they brought up a ton of numbers, and then I went back and looked at some of these. Um, you know, I, I got to watch a good portion of it, but... 5 of 28 from 3 for 17, well, 18% clip for Denver. Uh, 13 of 23 from the free throw line. That's like college basketball, middle of Big Ten season. Mm -hmm. 57% from the free throw line. You don't see that in NBA games very much. They turn it over 14 times to Miami's just 8, and yet they win the game by 5. That just, I mean, you, you talk about the coaching job Mike Malone's able to do. And the defensive adjustments. I, By the way, I love this kind of retro-style NBA we've had in the postseason where we've had a ton of games in the 90s and 80s because that's kind of the game. I remember growing up, you know, Hornets games would be like 87 to 83, right? And now everything's 125 to 120. I like that kind of nostalgic feeling of how these games have gone. And I know sometimes that happens in the postseason anyway because, you know, tempos slow down and teams start to play a little bit more defense, things like that, but... Um, Denver's ability to win in multiple ways. I think, look, what, what did we say coming into this series and throughout the postseason? Well, we know they can outscore everybody, but can they get enough stops when it matters to beat really good teams? And they end up winning the NBA championship on a night where they don't shoot the ball 
they, they shoot maybe. I'd have to go back and look, of course. This is probably one of the worst shooting nights they had all season, and they still win the game. They weren't good offensively. Not and They did not play up to their potential offensively because this is a team that we know I think was averaging 116, 117 points during the regular season. And they only get 14 points from Murray. But you know what they do? Jokic gets them 28 and 16 and 4. But Gordon has an off night. He only scores four points. But you know what happened? Caldwell Pope gives him 11. And Michael Porter Jr. gives him 16. The other night, it was Gordon that went off. Once again, they have the foundation. They have the face of the franchise. Joker. They have an all-star caliber guard to pair with them in Murray. But Murray had an off night. But they have all these other guys that you can circle around, cycle through from game to game that can step up and give you double-digit points and contribute. And they also got 10 points off the bench from Brown. Like, this is what they do. They find ways to win because they're a well-coached, well-oiled machine. And and how about this number from this series in general? The team that, and again, the knock on Denver or the kind of, you know, analytical weakness was defensively. How could they hold up against really good teams in the postseason? In the four games that the Denver Nuggets won in this series, Miami was held to 93, 94, 95, and 89 points. So the team that wasn't great defensively, that was kind of their, you know, again, they weren't bad, but that was their question mark, right? How can they hold up in the postseason? They hold opponent under 100 points four times in the series. They win all four of those games. Correct. They gave up 111 in the one loss, um, and that I think you can point directly to that. So, And I also want to point out something else, too, and, and we're going to talk a lot about Denver. We're going to hear from Denver on today's show. And Miami getting to the NBA Finals is a great accomplishment. Once again, the injuries that they suffered, they had to use Jimmy Butler, Bam, seven undrafted guys, and Kevin Love and Kyle Lowry on the back end of their careers, right? Just the fact that they even made a run in the postseason, just the fact they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and just because they made it to the Finals is a great accomplishment. So let me be clear about that first and foremost. Jimmy Butler did not play well last night. Jimmy Butler did not play well in these NBA Finals. And you could argue he didn't play all that well in the Eastern Conference Finals either. Now, whether or not that's his ankle, Dawson, nagging at him, or he's exhausted because of their long playoff run, or whatever it might be, I love Jimmy. Jimmy's a dog. I talk about Jimmy a lot on this show. But we also have to have an honest conversation here. As much as I'm fond of Jimmy and the style of basketball he plays and the type of competitor that he is and what they've been able to accomplish this season, he did not have a very good Eastern Conference Finals. And he did not have a good NBA Finals. And he made some decisions last night when this was a close game, when they were, in fact, up by one late where he's committing terrible turnovers, and he's taking awful shots. So there has to be some accountability here on, look, Denver's the better team. Denver's the more talented team. Denver deserved to win. They earned the win. But Jimmy on the biggest stage did not have himself a good NBA Finals. 
I would have to attribute some of this to fatigue from the from the run they've been on and kind of how much that took out of them. Um, and and maybe that's you know look every Denver played just as many postseason series as Miami did. I understand that, but I think maybe just kind of taking that out of him, how how much he carried them, especially in that first series against Milwaukee. Now, and, and you you and mentioned he, Jimmy he hurt not, the ankle, right? right? That's he that's hurt the ankle in that series. So um, I'm I'm uh, that's why I'm not going after him like. Oh, this is James Harden Game Seven with the Rockets, yeah. or no, and- J- James Harden with the Thunder in the NBA Finals. That's not what I'm saying. It's just Jimmy did not have a good Eastern Conference Finals, and Jimmy didn't have a good NBA Finals. And in, he just in, didn't. You know, in NBA fashion, we will probably find out that that injury was, even if it was or not, we'll probably find out that was the worst injury in the history of mankind <laughs> in the next couple of weeks because that's typically. How that information comes out. I I did a whole thing on Chris Paul, but I think it's always funny how that information just kind of comes out to kind of. But again, no, he was definitely playing through some stuff, and, and I'm not minimizing that because it's true. But he had eight points entering the fourth quarter last night. Now he went on that run where it was 13. I think he had 13 straight for Miami, maybe maybe like 11 straight with a with a couple mixed yeah. in at the end there. Uh, a couple of threes, had the three point the the three free throws, and so he kind of carried him back into this for a while. But yeah, then it, it just felt like again within that game itself he ran out of gas again. Because he makes that big run with Correct. about four or five minutes left in the fourth quarter, and then I don't know if he scored again after that. So, it, yeah, just just tough for him. But I think um, no, and look, that's what I think. The idea of this run itself is great for Miami, um, but we we mentioned yeah, they still have to. They can't be content with that. Now on the other side of things, the Denver Nuggets. By the way, every single player on this roster will return next year. Uh, the only exception, Bruce Brown's going to have an option, um, and that's going to kind of depend probably on his market and what he can get elsewhere. But everybody else, Murray, Jokic, uh, Porter, they're all under contract. They're all going to be back. So, um, you know, the early favorites in the West, I think, would go right back to your uh, defending champions. Although, I'm sure there will be some narratives in the offseason that kind of shift and shape that because we like to... Well, and and, and that was going to lead me to my next, next thing. thing because you're, you're right about that. Because... The narrative is going to be, I'm just going to lay it out for you, about the Nuggets is great. Jokic is great. He's a two-time league MVP. He's the finals MVP. They win their world title. And it's going to be a little bit like what happened with Giannis and the Bucks breaking through and winning their first NBA championship in 50 years. right? But it's probably going to be even more so because they're going to point to the bracket. And they're going to point to the fact that who did Denver really beat along the way? That's going to be the narrative. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't agree with it. I'm just being honest with you. I don't agree with it whatsoever. But they're going to point to the narrative of who did they really beat? They're going to say, RP3, Well, you know what? They beat a Suns team that hadn't come together yet to get to the NBA Finals. They beat a playing tournament number eight seed in the Miami Heat that was banged up and injured and had all those undrafted players. They didn't really face anyone for the the Larry O'Brien trophy. They didn't face a Phoenix team that was healthy and had really come together yet. That's how that's going to be crafted, I'm telling you now. Well, and by the way, we kind of talked about Phoenix and thought, oh, well, it didn't quite come together. And then then Phoenix ends up firing a coach, which... you know, personally, not a, not a decision a I was a fan of. It cuts but a player. Phoenix like clearly gave them the best run of anybody. I mean, by far, it won a couple of games, and remember, was very close to winning Game Six of that series as well. So, correct. That Suns team, you look back on it, you go, "Well, the Lakers had nothing for Phoenix, and 
you know, Miami didn't have a whole lot for him either. But that Phoenix team kind of tested him, and that Correct. was two-two. But Let's that's going to be the narrative. Series. Yeah, no, I, it, I already started. I already will. saw a little chirping of it yesterday, even before Game Five. Well, because we can't have non-extremes, so the two narratives that we've heard yes. already are either they went through nobody, or are is Denver a yes. dynasty? And yes. it's like, wait, neither one of them has to be talked about right now. Let's just talk about what happened last night first. Yeah, they're going to say, oh, you know, it was just old LeBron and the Lakers, and no one else, and Phoenix hadn't gelled yet, and. You know, Miami was an eight seed. That that's going to be the narrative this offseason. People, I'm telling you right now, NBA folks. There's going to be national people on television that are going to work really, really hard. I'm talking the type of working that's going to cause sweating for days of finding out ways of not saying that Denver should be a contender in the West next season. They're going to work really hard at it, Dawson. They're going to spend a lot of time, exert a lot of energy. It's going to happen this offseason, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It just is. But the Nuggets are your champions. 94-89 victory. They get the gentleman's sweep and win their first world title in franchise history. We're going to have a conversation about those uniforms they decided to wear. Did not care for those. Did not care for those. We'll hear from the Nuggets players next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yes, the core, but then I think you you need, if you want to be a successful, you need a couple of years. You need to you need to be a bad, then you need to be the good, and then you need to figure, then you need to, when you're good, you need to fail. Um, and then when you fail, you're going to figure it out. You know, I think the experience is something that is not what happened to you, is what you're going to do with that, with happen, what happened to you, you know. And uh, yes, Jamal was injured. Yes, we, we lose the first round or second round in the playoff. I don't even remember who it remembers uh, but there is a process that you need to you need to there is a steps that you need to fill and it's it's a it's not a it's not a there is no shortcuts there it's uh, it's it's a, it's a journey and uh, I'm glad that I'm part of this journey Jokic talking about needing to be bad before you can be good the NBA is in an interesting place right now and I, when I say interesting, I don't mean in a bad way. I mean in a good way. For the longest time, we had that run where it was three-point shooting, three-point shooting, three-point shooting, and getting away from guys that can play down in the post. Right? And teams tried to do quick fixes, and teams tried to build themselves that way. And you could argue the two best players in the NBA right now who are NBA champions, world champions, league MVPs, and NBA finals MVPs are two post players. And that's Joker and Giannis. And it's just kind of interesting how things have kind of shifted in the NBA where 
the two best players in the league in a league that's so dependent on the three-point shot that everything was revolving and evolved because of the three-point shot. The two best players in the league are two European bigs that have won the league MVP and have won an NBA championship and their finals MVPs. It's interesting how that has happened, by the way, in the era of three-point shooting. And you could argue the third is another European big in Luka Doncic. I mean, it's it's interesting. The European Correct. players in a hurry. And the other best pro- – I mean, think about this too. American-born players in the league or, you know, typical American players like Embiid's up there in the top four or five. Like, I don't I don't know how far you get before you find an American player in, that, in the top players in the league right now, which for so long, I mean, that was just – you know, you had one or two foreign-born players and that was about it. It's the, you know, Tony Parker, Manu – Dirk effect that happened that kind of just and then the Gasol brothers that just kind of changed the narrative and so many of these European guys are so versatile and it's they're not a one note player they're not a one trick pony and that what makes them so good yeah I was going to say it's probably a conversation for a different day to really get into it but I think the way the game is played at a young age and the way it's you know the, the style of play is different too and I think it's in some ways, again, you know, we kind of have this AAU-style hero ball situation going on in a lot of American basketball, and I think sometimes it hurts these players' development when they come up like that. But that's, again, we can get into that further We a different we, day. We will, and it is a good topic for another day. Also interesting, uh, the NBA has had five different champions over the last five years. Denver this year, Golden State last year, Milwaukee the year before with Giannis, the Lakers in the bubble. And then the Toronto Raptors with Kawhi leading them on that great run. Regular season attendance hit a new record this year. Playoff TV ratings are up. New stars are everywhere. The uh, NBA is in a very, very good place. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Martin to the show. Martin, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Good morning, Mr. Bond and beautiful. And first of all, I got to say you hit on some good points this morning. You know, uh... Denver Nuggets and all that kind of stuff. Congratulations to them. I mean, let's face it. They've been the best team in, in, in the NBA all season long. They haven't gotten the respect that they deserve, you know. Uh, and uh, I kind of want to hit on a, on, a, on a subject that you were talking about. Like, next season, you know, like all these NBA riders and all the, you know, the, these riders that, you know, kind of follow the game and, you know, dive into it and everything. They're going to try everything in their power not to give Denver the credit that they deserve. You know what I'm saying? Like, they want – because Denver's a small market team. You know, they don't like small market teams winning NBA championships. You see what I'm saying? They they gonna, they, they, they like, you know, all these flashy teams like the Lakers, uh, you know, the Golden State Warriors. And I still think that, you know, come next season, I mean, Denver's, Denver's going to be up there, you know. Uh because, I mean, going into next season, you got all these questions. What's what's Los Angeles going to do? What's, you know, um, what's uh, Golden State going to do? You know, will Draymond be back? You know, uh, who, who are they going to get? You know, Phoenix. Phoenix got a new head coach coming in. What are they going to do? You know, and there there are, I've seen there are rumors that could we possibly be seeing a reuniting of KD and, and, and Kyrie in Phoenix? You know, how is that going to work out? Didn't work out in in uh, in um, Brooklyn. Brooklyn, you yeah. know, you know. I mean, there's a, and and let's face it, the East wasn't what the East 
was supposed to be. You know, Milwaukee, they were the number one seed going into the uh, Eastern Conference. They they choked. Boston, they choked like they always do every year. You know, I mean, it's still wide open. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see next season if you know they give Denver the credit that they deserve, or if they try and say, well, you know, Los Angeles, da da da, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I mean. It, they they still gonna uh, gonna have to face the scrutiny and everything like you were saying it uh, you know early on and everything but um, congratulations to Denver and everything you know and uh, it'd be interesting next NBA season see what uh, if they give them their credit and uh, thanks for taking my call and I appreciate y'all thank y'all thank you Martin appreciate the phone call look there's a couple things to unpack here and we got a couple of of minutes. Yes, Denver's a small market team on the grand scheme of things. Also, the face of the franchise as a foreign-born player. It's it's similar to what is Milwaukee, right? And the Greek Freak and the Joker have great nicknames, and they're great players, and they're MVPs. But neither one of them are have boisterous personalities, Dawson. Neither one of them are flamboyant, right? So these are guys that both of them ironically had to work their ways had to work their way into being great players. They weren't naturally just coming right into the NBA and dominating, right? They had to work at it. Jokic was a second round pick. Giannis was a middle first round pick. No one thought those guys were going to turn into to the faces of the modern NBA. No one, no one expected that. No one thought that. So they're humble. A little bit of the language barrier there as well as part of it. And they don't play on the East Coast or the West Coast. They just don't. Yeah, no, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a factor, and I I don't completely dismiss anything that was said there because I think it's I think it's accurate. I think there's there's gonna be certain people that don't want to give Denver credit, but I will say a lot of the Denver skeptics this year, throughout the regular season and stuff, I was a part of it, and I don't I don't think it was a, a market thing. I think it was a Denver hadn't done it in the postseason thing with largely this core. Now. Now that it's happened, you can easily go back and go, well, think about Jamal Murray and being hurt and think about this and think about that. I get it, but until we saw it, I was going to be doubtful. The same way we're going to be doubtful with this Memphis group, which they have their own issues, and we'll see what it looks Ooh. like next year. But like we have the, our doubts about that Memphis group being able to do it. And look, if Sacramento's good again next year, we're still going to sit here and go, okay, but what's it going to look like in the postseason because we haven't done it yet? So I was okay with some of the way they were handled. Now, the one thing that's funny, and I've already mentioned this to Foot a couple times and we've joked about it, is like all of a sudden now everybody's going, well, it was always Denver. What do you, why did y'all think anybody else was going to win the title? Like Denver was the best team all year. It's like, well, nobody was saying that. Even when they were the one seed, everybody was going, well, Milwaukee and Philadelphia, and then on the other well, side, even well, in, Phoenix. Well, and, and, well, yeah, even in the West, they were talking right. about the Lakers and the Suns. And even Golden State, like people thinking they were going to make a run and, and get hot again in the postseason. So there's multiple layers to that. Um, the, the uniform situation. Can we just address it? Like, I, I uh, you know, it's not the biggest deal. I'm more of a uniform guy than most people are. It means a lot to me. Um, like, did Denver wear their regular uniforms at all in the finals? The funny thing is I just remember, like, it being a thing where now, I guess a lot of it's exposure related, but I, w- I would argue, and now, you know, they're on TV every game and things like that. 
But it used to be this thing where when you were in the NBA, which the, the, the NFL has rules, like in the Super Bowl, you have to wear your primary uniform. There's no alternates. There's no nothing because it's the big stage and you want the not- the notability right. of it. Um, and I just think it's funny that I get why Den- now you have all these different alternate jerseys and all these city connects and some of them have to do with you know some stream of water that ran through Denver in the 1900s or something <laughs> like that, and that's why they have them. But like on the biggest stage, could we could we wear like you know what that? Te- I don't know what Denver's home uniform looks like. It just uh, first I don't of all, know. I'm kind of I, I don't I, I I don't love the color scheme. I mean, I remember the old school when English played for the Nuggets back in the day in those uniforms. I prefer the Carmelo era Nugget unis. I just thought they were just so clean and just just magnificent. But I just thought to myself, a buddy texted me, he goes, you guys are going to win the NBA title and these are the uniforms you're wearing that are forever going to be shown over and, and over again like again those aren't their regular uniform that's some it's some it alternate is. that i don't know the explanation for great. and foot great. makes jokes about the celtics doing it and i think it's a good point but yeah no and, and you don't see it like in the world series you see teams pretty much wear their home and their Correct. road uniforms and you don't see it in the nfl either when it comes to the playoffs no the, especially there's rules about it in the nfl yes. specifically and, NBA I, and is I like yeah whatever i think it makes sense though because you want Again, there's a lot of people that probably watch the Denver Nuggets that don't watch the Denver Nuggets, and you want that notability, that recognizability, where you turn the TV on and go, "Oh, yeah, that's the Nuggets." And like, I legitimately, Milwaukee does the same thing. They have all these uniforms. I turned the Nuggets, I mean the, the Bucks, on a couple times in the regular season, and I'm I'm about as close a sports fan. I kind of do this whole sports thing, right, like the show and everything like that. I literally took me like three to four minutes to figure out who was playing because they didn't have the score ticker on at the time, or I couldn't see it or whatever. And I didn't know who was playing. And that's just, I don't know, it's funny to me that that's, that shifted the mentality in the NBA. we got to take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to shift from the hardwood, the NBA. We're going to shift back to college baseball. The complete College World Series field is now complete. We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The bracket is now complete for the College World Series, which begins Friday in Omaha. Your matchups, TCU taking on Oral Roberts. That'll be on Friday. That'll be at 1 o'clock. That'll be the first game of the College World Series. Florida will be taking on Virginia in game number two. That will be at 6 o'clock on Friday. Then on Saturday, we'll have Wake Forest taking on Stanford at one o'clock and then LSU taking on Tennessee in the nightcap at six o'clock there in Omaha and we'll be off to the races and see what happens after that at Charles Schwab Field in Omaha now we had two games yesterday last night rather Tennessee shuts out Southern Miss the Golden Eagles look like they ran out of gas to me. I think the series changed when they threw Tanner and he got roughed up. 
and you and I talked about this, was like, who does Southern Miss have left? Tennessee, once again, we, we talked about this. Tennessee, remember, was the number one overall seed last year and got upset. And history tells us that those teams typically come back the next year and kind of have a crazy focus and usually make a run. And there we go. Tennessee is in the College World Series. It's brutal for Southern Miss because they're such a good program. And now you've hosted the Super Regionals back-to-back years. And you've lost them. That's a tough pill to swallow. It just is. And they were on an emotional high, Dawson, because of their skipper, their longtime skipper retiring, and they wanted to at least get to Omaha, right? I mean, they had aspirations of doing more than just getting there, but what a way to send it off. It made you feel like what happened at Florida State back in 2019 when they got back to Omaha one final time for their longtime skipper and they beat LSU in the Super Regionals. Yep, Mike but, Martin Sr. But Southern Miss just couldn't do it. Tennessee was Tennessee was the better team for the three-game series. Yeah, no, and that, that Florida State Super Regional, it meant a lot, and I think it's a great comparison. The funny thing is because when I went to tour Florida State when I was you know attending, about to attend the university, um, that Super Regional was playing in the bookstore. It was like a random day, but it just because there was nothing on, and they just had that Super Regional playing in the bookstore, and I remember sitting there watching it and kind of, reliving the uh, the emphasis on Mike Martin Sr. and how that run and, and what it meant to Florida State and, and what it meant to him. Um, and so similar storyline for Southern Miss. Yeah, I thought they're up 4 nothing in Game 2, already up one nothing in the series, and their aces on the mound, and you feel like it's 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 in as good a spot as it could be, and you give up six runs in the third inning. You just kind of get shell-shocked, and, and, and I don't I don't think they ever scored another run, right? Or did they? No, yeah, they never scored another run after that. From the third inning on, after they put up a four spot in the bottom of the second of Game 2, they did not score another run in the next, what, 16-plus innings of baseball. Yeah. Um, they just got shell-shocked by that. I don't know what it was, and, and maybe it was just the idea of, our, of their ace out there getting you know shelled and just being like, what, what, what happens next? A dominant ace, too. Yeah. That, that's the thing. It's not as if he's just, oh, well, he's just there. No, no. He was a dominant ace, and he had the worst game of his life as a college player. Well, and it was—it wasn't even—it was the worst inning. It was all in one inning. It's Correct. just like he had one inning, and I'm sure he's going to think about that for a long time. And that's tough. But yeah, um, the Golden Eagles made a good run. That's tough to now. You know, I guess you can think of it as building blocks if you'd like to. You went—you got swept in the Supers last year. This year, you win a game. I don't know if you're really going to be able to take that approach, though, right? I just don't know what happened to their offense in those last 16 innings because they had, you know, all year been a pretty solid offensive team. Baseball. Um, well, that's true. Danny I, it, Lynch hit about 76 home runs against the Cajuns this year, and those guys just went ice cold. And they, they had chances last night. They had runners on. There's, you know, and look, there was an inning where they had first and third no outs. Tennessee brought in a guy in Chase Burns who was throwing like 117 miles an hour, and then like looked like a madman coming off the mound. So uh, that was a tough break for them. Like, you know, again, when you get to these points in the year, sometimes frontline talent starts to play a role where Tennessee. Had a guy in the bullpen who, look, hasn't been like dominant all season, but throws 103 miles an hour and was blowing it past people. And um, it's, it, it's a brutal, an it's a brutal loss, Tennessee. But we do get Tennessee LSU primetime matchup on Saturday in the College World Series, and that's going to be salty. And we'll talk more about that as the week progresses. The other game was the game on the West Coast: Texas Stanford winner-take-all game, and the Longhorns 
tie up the game in the top of the eighth. And you're like, okay. This looks like it's going to extra innings because after scoring six runs in the first four innings of the game, Texas is pitching calmed down and kept Stanford quiet the rest of the way. And in the bottom of the ninth, it happened. With the ace on the mound, by the way, Texas brings back Lucas Gordon, who started game one of this series. Oh. Um, and he comes in with a little bit of a jam and is getting them out of it. I had this game on. I had gotten back. I had both games on on the two TV setup, as was so necessary throughout the regionals and super regional process. And, I mean, it's about as routine a fly ball it's ever going to be hit in the history of baseball. Um, can of corn, just absolutely routine. Pop up right center. All right, let's go hit. You can see Lucas Gordon. He points it up in the air. Pointing up in the air is always the old uh, we got him from a pitcher. Sometimes they point up in the air when a ball's 400 feet over the fence, which I think is funny. Uh, this wasn't that. This is a routine. Let's go hit. We'll see what Texas can do offensively. Can they scrape together a couple runs? And all of a sudden the ball's on the ground and Stanford's dogpiling. Uh, you brutal. know, to Just borrow brutal. John Rothstein, a college basketball guy, he, he always uses the term the epitome of brutality. Um, that's what that was. That's the epitome of brutality. I I've only seen a couple. The only, you know, and I like to try to put these moments in perspective. I always compare things to my own, um, you know, just absolute rough goings as a fan of sports and such as being a Saints fan. Um, the Minneapolis Miracle, the only reason that, that, the, that the Minneapolis Miracle was worse is because you had the lead. So it was like it went from win to loss. So this was a situation where the game was tied and then you went to loss. But, like, again, you're already, your mind's already in the 10th. All right, what's Texas got to do to get the leadoff guy on? Let's see what they're going to do. And then the ball's on the ground because the outfielders both lost it and they neither Ooh. one of them ever saw it. I don't think ever got a glimpse of it. You know, it's funny, even a couple other, a couple of the infielders look like they lost it too. The second baseman didn't have it. The shortstop seemed like the only guy on the defense for Texas who saw the ball. And he wasn't able to get over there, and you lose the game on. The now that's been a that it's been a thing. People have said that 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 does happen during twilight time there in Stanford. The way the park is designed, that you will lose a ball. But both Dylan Campbell and Eric Kennedy, the Texas outfielders, it's two outs. They lost it. They just they lost the ball. It was a high pop up, and they lost it and couldn't find it, and it dropped fifteen feet in front of Campbell. Oh. And and you know what's ironic about this? And it look it because do, it doesn't losing a ball in the outfield doesn't really talk about you know doesn't give to your strengths or weaknesses as an outfielder. But Texas's outfield defense is part of the reason they're at this point because of the plays they made against the Cajuns and DC as he was called by uh, our friend Mr. Sim on this show Zachary Sim when he talked to us is like wouldn't have been one of their best players all year as is Eric Kennedy. That's two of their best guys and tremendous. That's the guy who made the diving catch in right field and the robbed home run in center against the Cajuns in the same game. And those two both just are sat there feeling helpless that they can't make the play, and Stanford wins. So, wow. I mean, Stanford moves on, and, and now the I think the overall maybe more talented roster of Stanford is going to go to the World Series, and Quinn Matthews is a, is a starting, you know, the starting pitcher who was so fantastic in Game 2. Third straight appearance in the College World Series for Stanford. I'll, I'll put a little bit of a spin on it here for the LSU fans that are listening. I think they got the better break in both situations uh, of who is going to be now in their side of the bracket in the World Series. And the reason for that, despite it being maybe the two higher-seeded teams, you're going to face, I think, not as good of aces. Because here's if Southern Miss would have beat Tennessee, you're facing Tanner Hall in Game 1. And again, Tanner Hall had that really bad inning against Tennessee, but his career would suggest that he was not going to have two bad outings in a row. 
you'd had to face Tanner Hall. Now you face Tennessee, who has a lot of top-end guys, but none of them have pitched as well and consistently as Tanner Hall has. If Texas beats Stanford, and let's say you end up playing Texas in the winner's bracket game or the loser's bracket game, you'd have been facing their number two or their number one, either Lucas Gordon, if they'd have saved him, or you'd have been facing you know their other guy, who's, who's a top-end guy as well, LeBron Johnson Jr. So I think LSU got a better a benefit here. Now, you might have to face Quinn Matthews, and he just had an, a legendary performance, but... um. Not facing guys with ERAs in the twos. You're going to be facing guys with ERAs in the threes or fours. And I think uh, maybe you could take that as a positive. Could make a difference. Leads us to our poll question of the day. Which unseeded team of the eight will make the longest run in Omaha at the Men's College World Series? Is it TCU? Oh, man, the Horned Frogs look dangerous. Is it Tennessee? He'll take on LSU on Saturday night. Or is it Oral Roberts? By the way, Oral Roberts is the lowest-seeded team to make it to Omaha since Stony Brook did it in 2012. And it's there in the field for the first time since their only other appearance in program history back in 1978. That was the year I was born. And in the current format of the NCAA tournament, they're going to try to join the 2008 Fresno State Bulldogs, who, by the way, were kind of like my introduction to truly loving college baseball when I was like nine or so years old. Um, they'll try to join them as the only four seed. They could become the second ever four seed to win the College World Series. Yeah, because you got the heavy hitters, right? LSU's in it for the 19th time. Stanford, the 18th time. Florida, the 13th time. TCU's making its sixth appearance since 2010. And Virginia, it's sixth since 2009. So you got the heavy hitters. You got some dogs in there. But which unseeded team will make the longest run in Omaha? Is it TCU, is it Tennessee, or is it Oral Roberts? And right now, 36% of you say TCU, 23% say Tennessee, and 41% of you say Oral Roberts. We'll get to your comments after this timeout. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Well, we asked you poll question of the day, which unseated team will make the longest run in Omaha at the Men's College World Series? 39% now say Oral Roberts, 39% say TCU, 22% say Tennessee. Ralph on Twitter says, I'll say Oral Roberts for a school of just over 5,000 students quietly turning into a little athletic powerhouse, Sweet 16 in 2021, now College World Series. Definitely David versus Goliath, but in the grand schemes of things, LSU's cruise to the title. It's called wordplay, Dawson. Steve, Salty Steve, our guy, says, if we're talking the long run, I'll take the Eagles. Oh, I see what he did there. Oh, you guys got the puns today. Oh, you're talking baseball. Tennessee may be on a revenge tour, and I may be dangerous. Hate seeing them in the Tigers bracket. And John Paul says, TCU got the bats. Tennessee has the legacy. ROU, they have some heart and tenacity, so I'm going with ORU unless they have to go against TCU. Good morning. They have to go through TCU in the very first game. I have bad news there. So, <laughs> says unless, but his caveat's going to come true on uh, the very first game of the entire World Series, <laughs> which will be Friday afternoon. We got to take a timeout and keep those votes coming, keep those comments coming on the poll question of the day. Hour one done. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with Brett Chancey talking Houston Astros baseball. That's next, right here on the game. Whoa. 
yeah. Oh yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be alright this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The month of May was very kind to the Houston Astros. They warmed up. They got it together. Bullpen was pitching well. You had guys stepping up. Bregman finally started heating up, and Alvarez was leading the major leagues in RBIs. The month of June has not been as kind to the Houston Astros. They've lost six of their last ten. They've dropped back-to-back series. And the big fella, one of the best sluggers in Major League Baseball, is on the I.L., for an oblique strain. So, Astros find themselves this morning four and a half games back of the Texas Rangers because the Rangers haven't necessarily ran away with anything because, well, they're they're only six and four in their last ten. But what do we make of what's going on with the Houston Astros? Do we think they can turn things around? Do we think that maybe they have some bigger issues that they need to address come the trade deadline. To break it all down for us is the man who co-hosts the Locked On Astros podcast. Our good friend Brett Chancey joins us here now on RP3 and Company. Brett, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm doing good. You know, the boys are back in town for a nine-game home stretch, and I like your competition, although I don't want to take any major league team light. (laughs) You know, the, the Oakland A's beat the Rays last night, so it's anybody's game any day you come to the ballpark. But I like our chances, even minus the big fella, Jordan Alvarez. Let's start there. It's only a 10-day trip to the IL, but we've seen Astros get injured here in the last year, and those trips tend to be an extended stay on the IL. What kind of confidence level do you have that the big fella Alvarez will be back with the team next week? Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not ultra confident that he will be back simply because with an oblique strain, it can be, you know, it can vary in certain grades. And I think Dusty's famous quote we covered on the show was, "That's a big fella with big muscles," and so. Um, he is a he is an imposing human being. Just just physically and when he generates the power he does when he hits the home runs you know he still leads the majors with you know RBI with 55 when you strain your oblique with that much power I would think that the Astros are going to play it safe there's no need to rush him back and so you might see him in two and a half weeks three weeks but they haven't really given us a timetable so right now we're it's mere speculation uh he could do your famous uh, dusty quote. He 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 can heal like a predator, kind of like with Framber. But an oblique strain is something they want to take care of because you don't want that cropping back up towards the end of the season when the games are really really counting. When you're in the heat of a either playoff run or 
fighting for a playoff spot. You know, we talked about how they've struggled in the month of June. Do you contribute that more to the fact that they had to play 18 straight games without a day off? Well, I think I, I think yes. I, I I think that is definitely part of it. But time out, time, time also, out, Brett. Brett, we we have a correction. Dawson uh, just corrected me through the glass. Go ahead, Dawson. Go ahead and grab the microphone. Look, I I didn't say it. I just motioned to you that it was seventeen. That's all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brett. I was off by a day. My apologies well, to you and your family and to the entire Houston Astros organization. It was only seventeen. <laughs> this is why I hired well, him, Brett. You He's know, good. Well, look, here's the deal. I knew it was seventeen, but you you are RP three and you are the man of the hour. Thank so you. Thank you. It would be nice if I only had that level of respect all the time, but continue. <laughs> okay, so well, seventeen, but seriously, how much yeah. having to play because they were getting Thursdays off there for a while and all of a sudden the schedule the way it was is 17 straight days without a day off so how much of this kind of lull that we're seeing from them a little bit has contributed to that or how much is just maybe they're just struggling to see the ball and get more timely hits well I think it's a mixture of I think it's a combination of everything 17 straight games for any team is tough. And with the way they've conditioned players or I guess not conditioned players or the way they, you know, give rest days and all that stuff, you would think that 17 straight games, okay, they can handle it. But these guys aren't just 17 straight games. They are literally traveling from city to city, right? They are, they are going from place to place. Um, And when you don't have, all your horses in the barn. When you have injuries, you're dealing with. When you have guys going down, um, it's really it's really tough to stay consistent. A few of these games, like in Cleveland, the the game that they lost in extra innings was very winnable. They they should have won at the six to five mark. They made defensive errors. There were there were some some calls and crucial moments that really went against them. And when you have defensive errors, when you have calls go against you with key at-bats and things like that, you've got to be on top of your game. And they clearly weren't. I mean, they they scored runs here and there. It's just also the inconsistency of the offense. I don't know if that's fatigue. I don't know if that's mental. Um, but they clearly need to string more successful at-bats together in more consecutive games because I still think that – even if you don't take three in Toronto, you only take one of the two. I think two of the three games in Cleveland were were winnable, and I think that third game possibly was winnable too. And so, uh, you know, you, you know they won that. So you're a few errors away from a sweep in Cleveland. Cleveland is one of the lowest scoring teams in all of baseball, but they clearly got to our bullpen. Our bullpen's taxed, and I, I think fatigue with the bullpen, even though we're top five in the league. Um, those, those guys get tired, and they're they're human beings. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that. Well, they're professionals; they get paid a lot of money. They should they should be ready to play every day. They're also aging human beings, you know, like you and me. And so, there's been a lot asked of them. And I think to be four and a half back is pretty admirable because they could easily be nine or ten games back right now. Well, Brett, I'm continuously fascinated by what's happened at the back end of the rotation. And once again, in this past week, three starts since we last talked to you, Blanco goes six innings, gives up two runs. He looked great. 
J.P. France had another really good outing in Cleveland, and then Belak actually kind of got touched up yesterday or a couple of days ago, I should say. Um, you know, I would assume the Belak one that's just going to happen, and that's okay. But overall, it's still pretty good goings for these guys that weren't expected to be contributors, at least in the roles they're currently in, right? Oh yeah, I mean J.P. France and Renel Blanco. And, you know, Belak, I mean, have, have done not just an admirable job, have done a very good job. And, you know, J.P. France is figuring things out more and more each start. Um, I know he did have six walks this last start, the only thing I would, I would be critical of him. But other than that, I mean, they've done what they're supposed to do. But, look, Dana Brown said the other day they're going back to the five-man rotation. They're going to be putting Ronel Blanco back in the bullpen for a long relief role, and they're going to keep Belak there. And the only reason why they're keeping Belak there is because he has more experience. Belak is very hittable. He's famine or feast, but when his stuff's working, it works. Um, he he had the the opponent the other day grinding into a lot of double plays, but then recently um, he didn't look so good. So as long as those guys, they're starters are going six, seven innings, you're going to save that bullpen and you're going to provide opportunities to win. But the offense has got to show up late in games and they they can't go to extra innings. Right now, extra innings is not a good formula for success for the Houston Astros. Well, you mentioned him last week that you got to talk with Greg, Greg Kessinger shortly before he was called up. Now, we haven't seen a whole lot of him. I think he's had, what, just five at-bats. But have you had any early impressions, and do you think maybe we'll get a better look at him this week at some point on the homestand? Yeah, I think I think he will get a chance to start a couple games just because it'll be nine straight games at home. Um, look, this kid is a third-generation major leaguer. You know, His grandfather was a six- or seven-time All-Star in the major leagues. So he knows he knows what the baseball business and what the baseball game is all about. He looks confident out there. He's a, he's got a short-handed glove, so you could put him at second, short, or third base, and not even bat an eye. And I think with the clubs coming in, especially with the Nationals, if it were me, I would like to see Gray against some pitchers that aren't doing so well. I know the Reds are coming in a little hot. They've got a couple rookies. They've got some really good pitching. So I would like to see Gray get a start in one of these first three games just because you you think maybe he stands a better chance at guys that, again, aren't having that much success. But then again, guys that Dusty plays and doesn't play, there doesn't really seem to be a rhyme or reason. I know there's a plan, and I know they have schedules, but like with the last lineup they put out there, it just seems like, you don't know who Dusty is going to play. It's like Scrabble board today. Let's just put some names out there and see what lineup we can come up with. So I hope for Gray's sake being called up, he does get some starts because he needs to get his feet wet. It would be great for the home crowd to cheer for him because uh, we like we like call-ups and we are very loyal to the guys in our system. We're talking with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us right here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud. Abreu, it, it sure does look like he's had a couple, you know, four or five good games. The at-bats have gotten better. He's been able to hit the long ball a couple of times. Do you believe that after being on the struggle bus as long as he has, that he may be starting to turn a corner? I absolutely do. Jose Abreu, the other day, um, took full responsibility um, for a loss 
that the Astros had. And when a player takes a game and says, that's 100% on me, I'm going to do everything I can to fix that, like, that takes a lot of, like, just self-fortitude and self-recognition, like, I'm not getting the job done. And, of course, Cleveland is probably one of the places that he's hit the best in his career. You look at any stadium, he seems to just light it up there in Cleveland. And I think that's what he needed. And the day after, the two games after he said he was going to fix it, he went back-to-back days with a home run, back-to-back days with with um, three RBI. And so in the last seven games, he's hitting 267. But when you look at his his splits, I mean, how he's – just trended upward, um, 262 in all of June. He was 180 in May. He was 231 in April. And his OPS is um, up to 702. So I think he's there. They say he's working before. They say he's staying after. And there's nobody in that clubhouse that wants him to figure out more than I think himself because he's genuinely one of the good guys in Major League Baseball. And I know the team's got his back. And the fan base, they didn't jump on him too, too much, but they're starting to come around and start to say, hey, he's our guy, so let's cheer him on. Not just we, we paid him a lot of money, but other bats aren't hitting, so we need a Brady to step up in a big way. We'll wrap it up with this, Brett. You know, you mentioned, you know, schedule gets a little bit favorable here. They have the Nationals for a series, and then they welcome in the Reds. And the Nationals are are lost. You know they're they're thirteen games back, and you know they're well below five hundred. And Cincinnati's played better of late, especially with their young rookies that they've called up. But how focused does Houston need to be? Because as we've noticed, Oakland was supposed to be on path for the worst season in history of Major League Baseball, and now they have seemingly have played far better baseball and they've won six in a row and they've beaten really good teams along the way, including the Braves and last night, the Tampa Bay Raves. So how important is it for the Astros not to look past the nationals and the Reds? Oh, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't think the Astros, you know, I think for myself or for us as a fan base, we tend to be the ones that go, Oh, this is, this is, you know, this is, a give me series, you know, oh, it's the Royals, oh, it's the Tigers. But we've seen in the past where the Astros, not just this year, but in past years. I remember when the Orioles were really bad. We came home from Oakland. We had we had uh, been been beat up by Oakland, and then we came home, and the Orioles were dead last, and they freaking skunked us. And so the Astros team this year and in the past, they're always, when we go to the ballpark, we respect our opponent, and we go out and do as much as we can to win. It is very important for them to stay focused, one game at a time, treat treat it like the playoffs. I mean, treat it like you don't have tomorrow and just go out there and be better than the other team. And when and, and what that means is not swinging outside the zone. Um, pitchers not trying to over-pitch, not trying to do too much. And um, whenever your number is called, getting in there and having a key at bat, whether you got to bunt somebody over whether you got to see four pitches and walk, um, they just have to they have to produce runs. And look, Corey Jolks is close to the top four in the All Star voting. I absolutely love that for uh, for designated hitter. I don't know that he makes it to the All Star game, but it's guys like Corey Jolks and it's guys like Jake Myers that really need to step up. We know what Tucker and Bregman can do. As long as their role players do their role and play their part, 
I think the Astros can win a lot more games than not in this nine-game home stretch. Brett, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your week, my friend. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. And hey, congratulations to the um, LSU Tigers. Right? Aren't they? Aren't they on their way for a for a special run to Omaha? They are going to start their run on Saturday night versus Tennessee and Omaha. Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, go Tigers and go Astros. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, of course, joined by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserloh. Did you prepare for this segment? Because I think um, based on the rejoin we played, I wanted to do a, a, an investigation into the financial impact of Lionel Messi uh, signing with Inter-Miami and kind of the implications surrounding that move. Sure. He's, I mean, he's right behind you, so I figured that would be appropriate. So when you, I mean, so look, bad. when you when you start to talk about the financial outreach, where you're really going to begin is with his contract, because that's where. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we'll see if it grows the game of soccer here. Well, we were told that when one David Beckham did something similar, um, yes. but it seemed more of a retirement tour than a growing the game move. After now, on. he became very profitable from it because he got a huge contract to come to the Galaxy, and then he's the owner. Yes, of the Miami team. That just signed Messi. Oh, interesting. So Beckham is making, you know. Well, he always was. And, I mean, he was on, I think, every single commercial in the United States for like a year and a half. Yes. So, look, look, we'll see. Is bringing, you know, Messi turned down a lot of money to come. He's leaving a lot of money on the table. But he's still getting a lot of money. He's by the still way. getting a lot of and money. Like an ownership stake is just a ridiculous contract. In the in the, somehow Apple is involved. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Right. Yeah, with the with the TV deal or the something. the TV deal. So he he's gonna be he's gonna be absolutely you know set there. And look, it, look, he, he won the World Cup, so it's it's all gravy now, right? That that that's what it boils down to. He he brought Argentina the the World Cup victory and. You know, boom. He was already considered to be in the conversation one of the greatest of all time. Then he wins finally the the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, no, and I, and again, I mean, I don't, I'm not as locked into this as you might believe. I know that's shocking to some, but um, I have heard some concerns about people who think he really has a lot left in the tank, and that this is kind of more of a sign of him slowing down. Because again, that's kind of what happened with David Beckham. There was this idea that he was going to come over and and really grow the MLS, but in reality, it seemed like it was more of a kind of a slowing down in his career and kind of wanted to take things easier. And people are, I think, worried that that's what it is. But again, Messi's not saying that. He's saying that this is to go and, and you know, do something. Um, also, uh, you know, and I, I haven't uh, fully checked this, but I've been told Miami's one of the worst teams in the MLS. So 
it's going to be interesting to see. You know, obviously they're you know they now maybe have the best player in the league overall, but um, you know, I don't know if we could compare it to uh, our other American sports, but it's not like he's joining a, a championship ready roster as well. No, so it looks like cashing in a big payday and maybe hanging out in South Beach. I don't know. Hanging out South Beach. That's the worry, I think, for some hardcore soccer fans that want to see another great run from Messi, I think, is is what I've been told. I think you you may be fooling yourselves if you're thinking a great run's coming. Um, And, you know, and I can't wait for another year or so when Ronaldo joins him here in the MLS to – and then we'll we'll go through this cycle again, just like we did with Beckham and, and him. And, oh, this is going to change the MLS, and this is going to change soccer in the United States. Uh-huh. 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 Okay. Denver Nuggets are your world champions in the association. They hoisted the Larry O'Brien trophy last night as they were able – to beat the Miami Heat 94 to 89. They get the gentleman sweep, as they like to say, four games to one. Joker is your finals MVP, not surprising. Once again, and we talked a little bit about this earlier on the show. And look, you can make the argument that the the best players in the NBA right now are not foreign are not American born. Greek freak, Joker, Luca. Embiid. Embiid. These are all individuals that are not American-born players. And it's just, you know, obviously Steph Curry's still in that mix and Kevin Durant is still in that mix, so that's not to slight them. But the the best players right now seemingly are coming from overseas. Embiid just won the MVP. Jokers won it twice. Greek Freak has won it. Both Giannis and Joker have won an NBA championship in the last three years. I just... (laughs) And and the game is different. And the Joker was actually asked about this. He didn't want to talk about a lot after winning the title. (laughs) He didn't want to give a ton of great, detailed, bombastic answers. But he was asked about the impact Europeans have here in the NBA. Yes, yes, we have a we have a we have a we have an impact on you know, teams but I, of course Americans are are the majority of, of, of the league and they're supposed to be because they are you know the America USA won I don't know how many gold medals in a row and then Spain won it last year but but I think there is some European players, and there will be some European uh, players um, contributing to win and uh, and uh, giving that edge or to the good teams to win to win championship. It, it look, I'm old enough to remember this is the '92 Olympics impact, still, and, and people that aren't old enough to remember the, when the Dream Team came together and dominated. The Olympics. You talk to the foreign-born players that were around in that time, growing up, that had a huge impact on the development of basketball in Spain, in Barcelona, in Europe, across the board. Like in all the European players that came after that, Dirk, Tony Parker, the Gasol brothers, 
all of those guys, Dawson, they all mention that. They all remember that. Like, it was a seismic moment in basketball. And now we're starting to see it like 30 years later where those countries that became basketball fanatics because of the dream team and what they were able to do at the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona, it spread like wildfire. And they it never went away. And now you're having the best athletes in a lot of those countries that maybe before, you know, not the huge guys like Joker or Giannis, they, they wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have a future as a soccer player. But they have dedicated themselves to the game of basketball. And, and by the way, all this talk, um, the guy coming into the league next year is also a pretty good European player in Victor Wimbanyana. Correct. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not, it's not slowing down. And the funny thing, too, not to say Wimbanyana wouldn't have been as hyped as he is because, again, like you're talking about he's a little bit different, too, because Giannis and Jokic and those guys weren't thought of like this coming out of the draft. Doncic a little more. He was a top-five guy, but not, still not to this impact of what Wimbanyana's talked about. But everybody's going to be looking for that guy now. You know, that's the, the, it's a league of trends. And since, you know, it's not one guy who did it, but now it's four or five guys that are, oh, by the way, four or five of the best six or seven players in the NBA <laughs> – so, and yes. if, if Wembayana is what anybody thinks he is, or even half of what people are saying he's going to be, then you're going to add another one to that list. So, you're going to have a lot of NBA teams, with, you know, I, I would imagine beefing up their European scouting departments, heading over to those, you know, cl- keeping a closer eye on those games and leagues that take place. And the, you know, the next 16 year old who's 6'8 and maybe a little lanky and doesn't look like he's going to be a basketball star, but all of a sudden they go, well, maybe we see the skills here. That's going to be, everybody's going to be looking for the next. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Victor Wimbanyana, and um, I don't I don't know if it slows down, but yeah, it's it's really because you know, and I was just looking at a list of I think it was CBS Sports's top 100 players, and like there's a bunch of American guys in that like six to 10, 12 range. Then you get to like Sabonis before you have another uh, kind of foreign guy in there, but like it's just I mean the top is again like the, the five names we gave are are one, two, three, four, and I think. They had maybe Jason Tatum above Embiid or something like that, and that was the only one. Like other than that, yeah, that's the guys we said are, you know, regarded as the top players in the league right now. It's this is what we've seen, and once again, how funny is it that not only have we had five different teams win the NBA title the last five seasons, we've also have seen a league that is was dominated by three-point shooting and going to that and just jacking up threes at an, at an enormous rate. The best players are also bigs. You know, another thing... It's funny. It's just funny how that worked out that, right. you know, uh, Giannis, Joker, and Embiid are all post players and they've all been the league MVP. Another thing I used to, I, I wanted to be a front office executive for a long time, I thought. Um, and so I like to think of things from that perspective as well. Uh, when top draft picks win championships and, and the way to mold your team looks like, oh, get a number one pick, draft the guy, build around him, win the title. I think, I almost think it makes a bit of a sense of ease for a front office to go, okay, well, that's the path. The path right now looks like, oh, just happen to find uh, an overweight, <laughs> chubby European phenom who's going to be one of the five generational talents and one of the best players in the world in the second round. Just find that guy, and then you'll have your title because that's, you know, and Giannis it's harder, was it's, similar in, in the middle of the first right, round and then Joker. It, it's it's, hardest, it's harder this way because no one believed that those guys were going to be generational talents. They looked like projects. 
but that takes excellent scouting, the type of scouting that the San Antonio Spurs used to have for years, and excellent coaching and development. Coaching matters. We, we try to make it out like it doesn't, especially in the NBA where it's like, well, he's just talented. It doesn't matter. No, coaching matters. It does, especially when you find these guys that need to be developed. It matters. Got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and company, we'll keep the NBA conversation rolling right along. Shams kind of surprised everyone with a report yesterday about those New Orleans Pelicans looking to trade up into the draft all the way into top three, top four. Is that even a real uh, realistic thing? D'Lo and I will dive into that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, I call this the silly season, just like I do with the NFL draft. The time right after the season wraps up for the NBA until the draft, there's going to be a lot of nonsense. It's going to get the fan bases all riled up and everything like that. The funny thing, I don't I, I don't know if you knew this, but NASCAR's offseason is actually like really referred to as silly season. They actually call it that, but I didn't know if you were... I thought you were going somewhere with that, but I don't know. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that? I, I did not know that. Yeah, it's interesting. They call it that, and I guess it's kind of fitting in a lot of ways because there is a lot of nonsense in everything that is off seasons. <laughs> yes. Now, look, th- there's a lot of compelling storylines this off season. Uh, it springs to mind three All Star guards where they're going to end up. Dame Lillard seems like his time in Portland is done. Chris Paul, where does he end up? In Kyrie Irving, right? And that could change a team's fortunes in a big way or it could doom a team if you get Kyrie warning Los Angeles Lakers so there's going to be some movement this offseason right and we have the draft coming up and we have a what many people believe D'Lo to be a generational talent who we mentioned in the last segment coming out of France but what about the rest of the class and I have concerns I have questions. But then yesterday, we get Shams to give a nugget out there that is going to be dissected, and I had my phone blow up because of it. Shams tweeted out, Western Conference playoff contender seriously pursuing a top 2-3 pick in this month's NBA draft with eyes on point guard Scoot Henderson. And Shams reports that the Pelicans are expected to aggressively pursue a top pick and suggest they're interested in trading up for Scoot. Now, the facts are the New Orleans Pelicans sit at number 14. To trade up to a top three spot in this year's NBA draft is going to require some magic. And none of the picks they have still stockpiled from all the trades that they've done with the Lakers and the Bucks, are top three picks. Not guaranteed to be top three picks at least. least. So Shams is a respectable 
NBA journalist. What do you make of this report, first and foremost? Shams, yeah, no, I think you hit it there. When you hear these reports, you got to take into account who it is. Shams is not going to report something without hearing something. That doesn't mean it's true or that it's going to happen, um, but he's been told by someone he trusts some information that he passed along. So I certainly believe that they're considering it. Um, now, the words aggressively, like those are the words that get mixed into these reports, and those are the words I think that could sometimes change the idea. Is it as simple as the Pelicans made a couple calls and Shams found out about it and, you know, the word aggressively came about in some way or form or fashion? Like, does that really mean the Pelicans are aggressively pushing it or have they made some calls? I don't, those are the things that I kind of look through and parse through when I read these reports. Um, But no, I think they're certainly considering it. Scoot now, you know, he's a guy who plays in the G League. He didn't attend a college. He went the, the G League route, which is now you know, an option for high school players who are kind of just trying to mold themselves more quickly to the pro game. Um, and he put up very good numbers as a 19-year-old in the G League this season. So, you know, I've heard, too, that this is another big three draft. Now, it's a big one. Wimbayana, clearly the clear-cut number one guy. But then, you know, a couple other, Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson being two and three, um, and not necessarily in that order. But that's kind of been what I've heard and that there's a drop-off after that. Now, it feels like almost every draft now we start to create this big three and say it's a drop-off after that. Um, and again, like in recent memory, uh, there was a big three the year of Zion and Ja, and now are they going to work out? Maybe we'll see. A lot of it's been off-the-court issues and injuries that have plagued those guys, but those three haven't you know, been the big three that they were supposed to be, along with R.J. Barrett in that draft as well. But Oh, R.J. We'll see what happens here. Um, but I think it's certainly legitimate that they're interested in it, and, you know, you mentioned B.I. and Zion. I wouldn't be giving up either one of those guys in any of these deals regardless. Um, if it's giving up a guy like C.J. McCollum, for, personally, I would struggle with that as well because I think he's very important in that locker room. And I think they made it clear from some of the things that have taken place, it, it's been made clear that they need some veteran leadership there. And I think he and Larry Nance have been good for that, but I don't think you should take it away. Um So, personally, I'm not a fan of the idea of, of breaking up this core. You know, the other option to potentially give up a guy like Trey Murphy would probably be in play. I think he's a guy that has enough upside that teams would, would view him uh, in a light that would be worth giving up a valuable draft pick for. Now, that maybe that that's something they're interested in. Is that going to be good enough to get up to the top Not three? just him, but I think it would have to be a package deal, of course. So I, But well, I don't because know. Because, once again, none of their future picks that they have from the Bucks and the Lakers are, are guaranteed to be top picks. Are guaranteed to be top picks. So you, you can throw in first-round picks, and they have a slew of first-round and second-round picks because of the Lakers and the Bucks trades, right, for the next couple of years. And you could say, hey, here we are. We're going to give you two future first-round picks and two future second-round picks, and we'll trade you 14 this year. That's not going to be enough to go up to get number three. It's just not. So you're going to have to throw in, like you say, a player here. It's probably going to take an existing player – and multiple picks because going from 14 to three is an enormous jump an enormous jump and I just don't see how they can do it like I understand they have assets they don't have those types of assets unless unless you decide to trade one of your big boys that's the only way that I think that happens that's the only way because look you could try to say like you said Trey Murphy that's great you could trade 
Trey and a couple of those future picks to get into maybe the top seven? You're not getting top three with that. You're just not. The other thing about this that's kind of interesting to me is that it, the, the rumor said, what, top four or something like that? It sounds like you're going to have to get to two if you want Scoot Henderson from everything. I mean, now maybe now maybe the team at two or whoever ends up at two, if there's a lot of movement or whatever, values Brandon Miller over Scoot. But, like, I, I don't know. I, I struggle to think you're going to be able to move up to four to get the guy you want when everybody now knows the guy you want as well from the reports at least. And, again, how much of that is legit or not because – you know, the Pelicans probably wouldn't have wanted that out there. And a lot of times stuff doesn't get out there unless someone wants it to be, uh, you know, part of the media. So I I don't know. There's a lot There's a lot here. I like the player, Scoot Henderson. I, I need to look a little bit more. I haven't, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you guys. I don't watch Ignite Games live um, with the <laughs> NBA G League, but I've watched no, a little don't. bit of highlights no, there. And I, and I, you know, he's the idea of this combo guard that can kind of do it all. He's got, you know, he's a good passer. He averaged over. Uh, almost seven assists a game and over five rebounds, 18 points in the G League. So, like, he's he's kind of that that combo guard that you have visions of a guy who's everything, but I don't know if he's... And if you want to get to three, look, San Antonio's not trading out of one. Charlotte's not going to trade out of two. So, Portland's there at three. Okay, so if they part ways with Dame Lillard, they're not giving up the number three overall pick here because that's going to be the guy that's going to build the foundation for what they're going to try to be moving forward. Yeah, I'd rather trade for Dame Lillard than I would the number three pick, honestly. Now, I know so, contract stuff plays a role in that, but, man, yeah. It's... Uh, Houston is interesting at four. Detroit, five. I could see maybe the Pelicans putting something together. Indiana's at seven. I could see the Pels maybe getting up around there and trading maybe a player and some assets to trade up to do that. But, man, uh, Portland's not giving up the number three pick. It's, it's rebuild time in the well, weird city. I will say this. If if Portland has ideas of making themselves of, of making a last run with Dame and trying to get current talent now, then there's an option where they go ahead and give up the th- number three pick and they want that current player. So I think that's your option if it's Portland. But you're going to have to give up one of your two big all-stars to make that happen. Oh, maybe so. I, I just I'm saying that's the scenario in which Portland's able to give that pickup is the scenario in which they say we're going to try and make Dame happy, Dame happy, and we're going to try and go all in here. Which you know, personally, I don't think that roster is close enough to Oof. make that a valuable option. But they might think it is, and sometimes teams do silly things when they think they have an opportunity or a window. So we'll see. I yeah, I don't know. I, I like the core intact. I'd like trying to run it back and seeing if it can stay healthy. But I guess that's a bigger question mark, and maybe they just want to try something new. We'll see. We'll see. Once again, it's the silly season for the NBA now that the finals is over. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll update that poll question of the day and get to your latest comments. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Has anyone else been on 
a tear as much as Stan Kroenke has been. He's the owner of multiple sports franchises. The L.A. Rams, who won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. The Denver Nuggets, who won the NBA title last night. The Colorado Avalanche, who have won a Stanley Cup recently. He also owns the Colorado Mammoth, which apparently is the champions of some sort of National Lacrosse League, I do believe. Didn't know that was a thing until just now. He also owns SoFi Stadium, which hosted the Super Bowl recently, hosted the national championship game for football, is going to host the 2026 World Cup multiple matches, will host the 2028 Olympics opening and closing ceremony. Kroenke uh, is already up at least $3 billion plus on his investments since 2020. And even crazier, he owns Arsenal Football Club in the Premier League and the Colorado Rapids and MLS franchise. His entire sports empire is reportedly worth $13 billion. Billion. And the number 13 before it, by the way, in case you were confused. That means you have to have $999 million <laughs> In each of those $13 billion before you get to one, and then you have 13 of those combined, just for reference point. He understands math. Poll question of the day. Which unseeded team will make the longest run in Omaha at this year's Men's College World Series? 44% of you say it's going to be them Horn Frogs of TCU, Texas Christian University. 29% of you say Oral Roberts. That's the sentimental pick for our guy D'Lo. And 27% of you say Tennessee. Tennessee, Tennessee. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout the remainder of today's show. Hour number two has unfortunately come to a close. But not to worry. We still got a whole other hour still for you. What we got up? How about Ali Cassell? He'll join us at 8.30 to recap the NBA Finals and look ahead to the offseason for the New Orleans Pelicans. Also, leading off hour number three, Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog, he usually joins us from Tiger Details on Wednesdays, but this week we had to bump him up a day because my man's going to be on set. He's got to film another movie. This is what his life is. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, the final hour of this tremendous Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company has arrived. Coming up half an hour from right now, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, will join us recapping the NBA Finals that have come to a close. Look ahead to the offseason for the New Orleans Pelicans. That's coming up. But we're going to kick off our final hour today talking about LSU baseball. Tigers got it done against Kentucky. They're moving on to the College World Series for the first time since 2017 and the 19th time overall. They'll take on Tennessee Saturday night. We'll have that game for you live right here on the game, and yours truly will also be there. I'm going for the first two games of the College World Series. We'll be broadcasting RP3 and Company live Monday from Omaha. That's right. So that should be an interesting time. A man who 
has done it all, has covered it all, and has not seen a story that he hasn't somehow wrote about. Joins us now to talk about those LSU Tigers and their chances when they get to Omaha this week. He's the award-winning columnist from Tiger Details, our good friend, the Mad Dog himself, Ron Higgins. Ron, good morning, bud. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm gearing up for a a road trip. Going to be taking it on the road, not flying. I'm not big time like you. I'm not. I'm not Hollywood Higgins. I'm going to be uh, road tripping. Going to get about to about Glendale, uh, Arkansas, on day one, and then we'll make the rest of the trip to Omaha on Saturday. Thankfully, LSU decided to do me a favor and play at night, so I'm thankful for that. Yeah, they they, they uh, you know when they were scheduled this thing, they 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 sat around and said, "Look, Raymond's got to drive," you know. <laughs> We, look, we, let's get the guy a break. You know, we're not gonna make him drive all night, all day. And look, I don't know he's if he's ever seen beautiful Glendale, Arkansas. Okay, I've so, got, I've been to lovely hot springs. Uh, had uh, my wife and I had our honeymoon there, and then I've also been to Eureka Springs. So, but I've well, never been to, to to that the lovely part of the state of Arkansas. No, I have not. So. They may give you the key to the city or whatever it is in <laughs> Arkansas coming through there. So uh, oh. it, it's a drive to Omaha, but it's uh it's something that everybody needs to go to at least once. You know, I mean, LSU fans, it's their, one of their favorite places to go. I mean, the, the city of Omaha just loves them because LSU fans drink, drink the city into a whole new economic boom every time they go there. So, uh longer they stay, the more Omaha likes it. So we'll see how long they can stay. And uh, they're in a, a pretty tough side of the bracket with Tennessee and Wake Forest. Uh, but I always say there's really no easy side of the bracket really in in in, the, in Omaha. Everybody everybody's there is good. Everybody's there for a reason. They're good. So uh, it'll be it'll be a really good uh, World Series. Give me your big takeaways on what you and I saw over the weekend at the Super Regional against Kentucky. Phenomenal uh, pitching, uh, relief pitching, was stunning. We, we talked all year about we didn't know if it was going to hold up or not, and it held up. And all those things I said about not trusting Riley Cooper, uh, he just kind of threw them back in my face. I mean, good for him. Uh, LSU did something in his, you know, last game against Kentucky that they had done all season. They they pitched 5.2 scoreless innings against an SEC team. Uh, and credit Riley Cooper and Gavin Gidry. Gavin Gidry's a stud. I mean, he's just, I mean, he, he didn't even know he's a freshman. He just goes, goes out there and throws. Uh, and uh, the pitching held up. The hitting came through. I mean, it was one of, the, it was one of their best series of the, of the season, honestly. I mean, I mean it's just under, under the circumstances. Uh, uh, and the hitting, everybody, everybody really came through. Everybody had a hit in the last game, of course, and then the first game they just everybody was unloaded. Hit you know, all the home runs. So uh, this team is really it's 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 peaking at the right time. Uh, but again, it's in a it's got Tennessee first, and Tennessee it was we know is no joke. LSU won two out of three against Tennessee this year, but uh, you know before that. Uh, LSU had lost uh, had lost six straight to Tennessee before they won two in Baton Rouge and losing the final. So Tennessee, uh, you know, it's LSU's to me. It's it's a really good matchup because both teams 
have good hitting. Both teams have good pitching, although I think sometimes I still believe Tennessee's pitching is a little bit deeper maybe. But I think LSU, when they get their bats going, uh, can win that game. Then they probably have Blake Forrest in the second game. We'll see what happens. You know, Blake Forrest is interesting. Nobody really kind of – I'm not saying they're, they're ranked number one. Nobody kind of really takes them seriously. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, they, they knocked out nine homers in their last game against Alabama to win that thing. I'm sure Alabama will tell people they're legit. Uh, but LSU's on a tough side of a bracket. We'll see what happens. They're there. They wanted to get there. This was their goal. Their first goal was to get there, and they got there. And so we'll see what happens. You know, you mentioned Gidry, and we talked a lot about him yesterday. And I, you and I talked about it inside the box about how the kid is just so impressive. And I also think Jay has shown us who he trusts. You know, I broke it down. I looked at it starting with the SEC tournament through the regional and the super regionals. He trusts Gavin Guidry. He trusts Alkenhausen. He trusts Thatcher Hurd to eat up innings. He trusts Cooper. And that's really it. Like, we haven't seen uh, Coleman since May, right? And we even we haven't seen Christian Little since, like, May 20th. So, he's shown you Jay has who he really trusts to put it together behind Skeens and behind Ty Floyd, hasn't he? Yeah, I was sitting there last night making a list out, like probably you did. Like, who, who does he go to, you know, for his relievers? And, you know, like you said, Ackenhausen, Guidry, uh, Herring. Yeah, Herring. Uh, Riley Cooper. Uh, and the other ones on the fringe would be Coleman, who was, uh, was, was going to be his next starter in, in line if else had to go to another game. Uh, uh, I think probably Bryce Collins. Uh, and then. Oh my God! I'm gonna say Blake Money. Oh, Blake, it's coming in my mouth. Blake Money. Uh, but because you get that, you get to the bottom. That's about it. Because the only person that is Sam Dutton, who's who's blown up, and uh, Christian Little, who's not, not been very, very good at all. Uh, and that's it. You're done. You're you're at the bottom. I mean, there was nothing. Nobody really left. So. Uh, they have to, they have to have good starting pitching. They, they, uh, they got it in their regionals. I mean, it was a great, no, but it was good enough. I mean, and, and super, I think it was good enough. Uh, but they, they, that's about to hit, the, they have to hit the ball. They got to put some runs up and then this team has done that. Uh, guys have blown hot and cold in regionals and, 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 and super regionals, uh, you know, Guys who were cold during regionals, like Trey Morgan and Tommy White, got hot in the Super Regionals. Uh, well, Dylan Cruz is just kind of say Dylan Cruz. I mean, he's, he's. I think he's. I think I have him now batting in fifteen NCAA tournament games or sixteen something like uh, four eighty. So, uh, I mean, but I went back last night. Looked at the the, the you know. LSU's history the last three years against Tennessee and, and who has really hit the ball well and and uh, and who hadn't and uh, uh, Dylan Cruz of course has, has played in all nine games in the last three years against Tennessee. I mean they played uh, you know they played five in 2021 because of the NCAA tournament and they played one that's in the SEC tournament in 22 
and three this year, and Cruz is batting 421 in those. So uh, none, of, none of that has uh, fully affected him. Uh, everybody else in this LSU lineup, uh, honestly, uh, the last the guys who've been here the longest, uh, Dylan Cruz and Morgan have hit the ball well. Uh, the rest of them, not close to well. Uh, uh, so, uh, but this is a three-year been a three-year process. You know the guys who. This is an interesting team that they they have they have they have got like I wrote this uh, this morning or yesterday have guys who stuck around and came back. You have guys who uh, have been the rock of this team. Three guys or three juniors of uh, Cruz, Thompson, and Morgan. Uh, and you got guys who just uh, don't know their freshmen, uh, and it's all been kind of blended together. Uh, and credit Jay Johnson for doing that. Uh, and this team uh, really uh, plays together. It, it really uh, doesn't care who gets the credit. And that, like as Jay Johnson said, that's the secret of this team. And I agree. This team, it just goes out and plays and, and tries to have fun and. Everybody pulls for one each other, and nobody cares who gets the uh, the credit for winning games. So it's it's a true team. That's why they've been they've been fun to watch, even though that they give you moments of heartburn. The pitchers of release pitching they've been fun to watch. Well, Ron, do you think Coach Johnson gets cute at all with this pitching staff, or do you think he goes Skeens game one, Floyd game two, and figure it out from there? No, he can go Skeens game one. This 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 isn't. This isn't a thing where you you don't throw go up there and, and throw your second guy in the first game. You need to get through the first game. Like every game's going to be good in this thing. But there's not not many things where you you second guess yourself and say, "I'm gonna hold a guy for, for game two. You don't hold a guy for anything. Not now. I mean, uh, you know, you're playing you're playing Tennessee in the opener. You know, uh, a team that uh, that you you know lost seventy your last nine games against, I believe, something like that. Yeah. So no, you're not holding anybody for a second game. Do you I mean uh if he did, he'd be absolutely out of his mind crazy. Uh you don't hold guys in the College World Series. You've got to get past the first game. I can't recall any LSU coach ever holding their best guy uh out of the first game because you can't afford to. Everybody's too good. Well, I would agree with that. The only reason I ask is kind of the way he's handled the weather and things like that. And as of now, we're not expecting that to be a problem in Omaha. But overall, kind of what do you think of, of what this team has to do to make a run? You mentioned offensively scoring runs. I know that'll be a part of it. But is it more of the same of kind of what they've been doing recently? Or is there something else they are going to need to make a run past the first couple games? It's exactly the same that I've been doing. They need... They need good starting pitching to where they don't have to tap into a lot of the relief pitching. Uh, you know, that's that's their secret. They need to get good starting pitching, uh, so where they don't have, they don't have to go deep into their bullpen uh, each game. Uh, I mean, on the surface, do they have enough pitching to win the College World Series? No, no, they they don't. They really they, they don't they don't have an, uh, enough starters, enough good relievers, but. Um, that's why they need to win every game so they can take the most direct route to the finals possible. Uh, that's why they need to get the most out of their starting pitching so they don't have to tap into a bunch of relievers because they're, uh, 
they're not as deep as other teams as, as far as pitching. So uh, I just think, I mean, I think they'll score. I mean, I mean, I mean but again, this is this was Omaha. The, the ballpark's bigger. Uh, it's tougher to hit home runs there. Uh, but they, they need to put up a bunch of runs and, and support an offense. But I think starting pitching is a huge key for them because it just uh, the less relievers they use, the better. Ron, we'll wrap it up with this. You've covered these events. You've covered a lot of sports over the years. You've covered LSU a lot. What's the big key for them and, and just the mindset maybe when you get to Omaha and being able to navigate how grueling the tournament can be and, you know, goes over the course of 10 days? You know, what's the big thing that's always key for one of these teams to actually win the title? Uh, truly enjoy the moment. I mean, enjoy the moment that you're there and you're playing baseball in college, baseball's biggest stage. And, uh, remember, no matter how big it is, it's just a game, you know, I mean, and have fun. I think that's what Jail told us guys. It's got to look, you know, us, we take it one pitch at a time and let's just play what's in front of us and let's, let's, let's have fun and, and let's play together. And, and like we have all year, this is a, another game like we've had all year. Uh, and we've played these guys before. They we know them in the first game. We know those guys. So let's just go play. Let's and, and you know we'll see what happens. And you know regardless if we're gonna lose, I'm, I'm 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 proud that we got here with you guys. And and I think that's that's his message. And I think that's what they gotta play. We've had fun together all year. You know, as Dylan Cruz said, I asked him, I said, why do you play so good in the NCAA tournament? And I said, you, you mean you you take your game up a notch. He goes, man, I just, he goes, the more fun I have playing baseball, the better I play. I have so much fun playing with these guys in and, 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 and NCAA tournament. So, he goes, I guess that's the key for me, having fun. And I think that's the key for this whole team. Just one one game at a time, one pitch at a time, have fun. And we'll see what happens. It's anybody's ball game in this thing. I don't think anybody's a, a, a huge favorite in this thing. Uh, and that's, that's the beauty of this. Of this. It's, there's not... It's not like college football where you feel like you know who's going to win almost every year. Uh, you know, this is a lot, somewhat like college basketball this year, except there, all these teams have, are you, they're familiar with winning college baseball championships, except for Wake, you know, Wake Forest. So, I mean, this is a, it's a wide open field, and uh, it's a great time. It's a great time in Omaha. LSU fans love this time, and uh, it'll, it'll be fun no matter how long it lasts. It, it is if you last it to the end, it's a mar- it's a marathon. I guarantee you, it is a marathon of unbelievable proportions. Uh, uh, for me, it was like like covering the Olympics, and I've covered three or four Olympics, and uh, it, that was that kind of everyday. The only difference with Olympics and and and, and uh, World College World Series, and Olympics should. Uh, if you're a media person, you're covering something every day. Here, you really, you have a break because there's sometimes there's breaks between games, especially if you win. Uh, when every this break, you you play, you off, you play. So there's there's breaks, but it's, it's a marathon. And but fans will love this, and they love this thing. Brother, we love having you on. Enjoy your week, my friend. Enjoy being back on a set tomorrow i mean look you're you're in demand not only as an award-winning columnist covering lsu athletics but on television and movie sets as well my friend 
Oh yeah, I'm in, a, in this movie tomorrow with Tony Danza. <laughs> Tony Danza. And uh, my older son, I told him that. He goes, wow, that'll be a cinematic accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mad Dog. Enjoy it, bud. I'll see you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, coming up in less than 10 minutes from right now, our old friend Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, will be joining us to recap the NBA Finals. Look ahead to the New Orleans Pelicans offseason. And what about that report by Shams that the Pellies are interested in trading into the top three or top four of this year's draft? What would it take to make that happen? Well, I ask Ali all about that coming up next. Let's check in on the poll question of the day. Now that the College World Series field is set after last night's action, Tennessee shutting out Southern Miss and advancing, punching their ticket. They'll take on LSU in the first their first game. That'll be Saturday night. That's your primetime game from Omaha on Saturday night, LSU versus Tennessee. Of course, we'll have that game for you right here on the game. And look, Tennessee, I liked Tennessee to win that series, and Tanner Hall had one bad inning, probably the worst inning of his college baseball career, and Southern Miss really never recovered after that. Now, it happened in game two. Tennessee won that game, and then they shut out. Tennessee does, shuts out Southern Miss yesterday to punch their ticket to Omaha. The other game, absolutely brutal. Texas ties it in the eighth with three runs. In the bottom of the ninth with two outs and their ace on the bump. They brought him in out of the pin because it was all hands on deck against Stanford. Routine pop-up. And it falls because the infield and the outfielders lost it in the lights at twilight time there in lovely California. So Stanford moves on to the College World Series while the Longhorns lose in brutal fashion. But that leads us to our poll question. Which unseated team will make the longest run in Omaha at the Men's College World Series? Right now, 46% of you say it's going to be the TCU Horn Frogs. 30% of you say it's Oral Roberts. So no matter what, 76% of you believe it's going to be that matchup which is going to open up the College World Series on Friday afternoon. TCU versus Oral Roberts. One of those teams is going to make the deepest run of any unseeded team. It's a it's a good analytical way to look at it because one of them is going to get a head start for sure. There so. we go. And the other's playing LSU, so, you know, depending on how people feel about that matchup. That's right. 24% of you say Tennessee. B-Rad on the Twitter says, voted TCU but could go either way. I really like the field. Got Blue Bloods, teams with history but not quite Blue Blood. Like Virginia, plenty of Power 5 flavor and a Cinderella. Tigers back home in Omaha 
Let's go, says B-Rad. Oh, and he adds another comment, and a villain in Agent Orange, Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee won't have a lot of of, uh, friends up in Omaha, that's for sure. Ton says, I think TCU, they've been great all postseason. I wouldn't want to have to face them in Omaha. They destroyed the competition in the Big 12 tournament, and they have just mowed down the competition through the regionals and super regionals. That lineup is filthy. Yeah, and Indiana State's actually the only team that's been able to quiet their bats, but then Indiana State couldn't figure out their pitching staff. So TCU's gotten it from both ends, really. Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie, says, I think LSU will handle Tennessee. My choice would be TCU. They've looked formidable, though I've been being honest, I've only seen them play against the Hogs. Texan in Acadiana says, I have to go with the Holy Frogs and shared a gif of the Hypnotoad from Futurama. I'm here for that reference, by the way, Texan in Acadiana. Big year for TCU athletics. How about the uh, talk about a college football playoff run? Played for the national championship. They didn't show up in the national championship, but they played for one. But still a great season for them under Sonny Dykes. Yep. Uh, Make that tremendous run. And now the baseball team is back in the College World Series, a place they've known fairly well over the course of the last 10 plus years. Horn Frogs have made plenty of runs to Omaha. And let's see, maybe if they can maybe get over the hump here and uh, make a run because that lineup is something else. It and just, also, it I is. mean, Oof. didn't make it all the way in the basketball tournament, but they were a six seed there and won their first round game, lost to Gonzaga. But I mean, overall, pretty banner year in men's athletics for the uh, for the Horn Frogs. Things are happening with those Horn Frogs. Love their their name, by the way. Love their name. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. There's still time to go vote. Still time to leave your comments as well. And we'll share them throughout today's show. But we got to take a timeout. When we return, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, will help us recap, put a bow on the NBA Finals, which the Denver Nuggets won last night, 94-89. to Look ahead to the offseason for the New Orleans Pelicans. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I just watched something again on Twitter. It was the post-game press conference of the Joker. And and someone asked him about if the other Joker, the one that is now has the most Grand Slam titles of anyone in men's tennis history, had texted him because they're friends. They're both obviously from Serbia. And he he scrolls for a few seconds and he goes, oh. And then he he says, someone asked him how many texts do you have? And he goes, a lot. I'm going to turn off my phone. He just, it's, I'm going to turn off. Like, he just has, he had no idea that after winning an NBA title that his phone would blow up the way it did. It was just a complete surprise. It's like, oh, I'm just going to turn, I'm just, there's too many text messages. I'm just going to turn it off and set it down and be done with it. I love that. Nuggets win the NBA title, their first in franchise history. 
And they take care of the Miami Heat in a gentleman's sweep. To recap that and to look ahead to the NBA offseason, including what will the Pills be doing, is our good friend from the Bird Rights, the editor-in-chief himself, Ali Cassell, joins us. Ali, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. Doing a lot better these days. How about yourself? I am doing great. So let's start off with, I, I-, I joked earlier with Dawson that... I can't wait for the NBA offseason to be spent talking about what other teams in the Western Conference are going to be favorites to win it all next year, and they will ignore Denver as much as possible. And they didn't even wait till the postgame was done last night before talking about LeBron James and, and his career. So uh, give me your thoughts from your perspective as someone who truly appreciates the game of basketball. Uh, just how impressive was what Denver was able to do this postseason? They were the most solid team, right, from pretty much start to finish. They didn't have come into the season without really any holes, right? Unlike the Lakers, who got that poor start, um, to look at some other teams, the Memphis Grizzlies, who hit that rough patch once some injuries hit. And, of course, it's a John Morant uh, situation. Mavericks, they just had Luka, really, and need to find somebody else, a sidekick, after Jalen Brunson went to New York. So you loved what they had from, like I said, top to bottom the most complete team and you know for a change it was nice I think to see that the team that entered the season probably in the best respects in terms of having the stars role players and such ended up on top so good planning good planning paid off I don't agree with looking past them already I mean right the Lakers I mean LeBron James is going to be you know 500 years old (laughs) Anthony Davis is still unreliable so to start looking at other teams potentially being better, I don't think that's the avenue you should be taking. Instead, look, the Denver Nuggets have been elevating ever since they drafted, right, Jokic, Murray, um, missed the playoffs their first few seasons. Then he started sniffing it. Then he started just getting better and better to where both of those guys, they're in their prime. So I think Denver's going to be a force to be reckoned with. What? You got to think for at least the next four, maybe five years. So they're going to be right there. And I, like I said, I love what they're doing. And the Pelicans, they're going to have to go through them if they want to win the championship or even get to the finals. It's impressive for seeing what Denver did, and we'll talk more about that. But Miami sure did feel like they just ran out of gas. And I know Jimmy was dealing with an ankle issue since the Milwaukee series, but he did not have a good NBA Finals uh, overall. Uh, late in last night's game, even though he he scored a bunch of points there in the fourth to bring him back, he then took some questionable shots and had some costly turnovers. What's going to be the big thing for the Heat this offseason? They've got to find talent, right? I think we talked about it on your show at the start of the playoffs. Um, maybe they were in the playing game. I can't remember, but people were talking about, hey, should we model ourselves after the Heat? No way. Look, they've got Jimmy Butler, and he's fantastic, but he's not really even a top-five player. I mean, look, you saw in these playoffs, he, he did really well pretty much throughout the entire series against the Bucks. But then he kind of just became a guy that would rather take a back seat in a lot of games, right? He likes to drive, probe, and dish it to a teammate. He doesn't always want to attack the basket, nor does he really have that ability, right, to score at a high level consistently, right? He, he's not a Kevin Durant. He, he's not a Kyrie Irving. And that's his best role is kind of being almost a Robin who can play like a Batman just because of his physicality, his determination, right? So they need somebody else next to him. I mean, 
Kyle Lowry, he, he's he's you know he he's on his last legs. Tyler Hero, good shooter, and they definitely missed him. But they need somebody else because Bam Adebayo, he's more of a defensive-minded guy. So they need that top one, you know, alpha score in a sense. So I don't know where you look for him, but Pat Riley's always pulled them from underneath rocks, gotten them to come to Miami somehow and keep them there. So that's what they're going to be doing because look, Caleb Martin was a nice story. A lot of their role players were a nice story, but. You know, Duncan Robinson, Martin, um, several others like Gabe Vincent, they came up pretty much empty, right, in these finals. And it showed last night, right? What they combined for from three, Raymond? I heard the style, something like two of 17, three of 19, something along those lines. You just can't rely on role players to get you through an entire playoffs. Well, Ali, I'll go national and then we can get local with the Pelicans, but I'll leave this kind of up to you. What's your favorite offseason storyline as we head in or, or kind of the biggest shakeup that you see coming or think that – that maybe we'll see as far as the top talent in the league? Well, so far, I like the fact that all this coaching carousel changes have been happening, right? You've got a lot of good teams that are now going to have good or brand new coaches like, you know, Nick Nurse. Um, uh, let me see who else we've got, got there. Monty. Monty Williams going up to Detroit. But really, you want to look at like Philadelphia, Phoenix, right? These teams are ready to win now. So you're wondering, what's Phoenix going to do? How are they going to fill out the rest of their team around Kevin Durant, Devin Booker? What's going to happen in Philadelphia, right? You know that Joel Embiid's going to be there, Tyrese Maxey, but James Harden, he sure sounds like he wants to go to Houston. So how do you potentially fill that hole? Some people are saying Bradley Beal. So that's what I'm looking at. Supposedly, the Pelicans, they should be right there, right? I know that they were first many moons ago. What was it, two, two and a half months into the season, right there with the Denver Nuggets. Then they fell off the cliff. But I think they have the talent to compete if they stay healthy stay healthy, and round out this roster a little bit better. So, of course, from Pell's perspective, you want to see what your competition is doing. So, like I said, you're looking to see what are the Lakers going to do? Are they going to be able to keep, you know, some of these pieces that, like Austin Reeves, to finish their season? The Warriors, do they have another, you know, ability to maybe – bounce back from an offseason, right, because they're getting older. So it's going to be real interesting to see what those top elite teams do because they've got so many question marks. Well, I'll stay right there with the Pelicans because our thought process and kind of what we talked about is that we thought maybe it'd be a pretty quiet offseason, just try and get everybody back healthy, run it back. But yesterday, Sham's reporting that the Pelicans could be pretty aggressive and moving up, maybe looking at a guy like Scoot Henderson in the draft. Now, we know these sometimes can be just that, just rumors at this point, but do you buy into this idea? And and if it is true, what do you think it would take for the Pelicans to move up that far? One thing I know about the Pelicans is that David Griffin has constantly tried to move up in the draft in most years he's been here. He really tried to go for Patrick Williams, who ended up getting drafted by the Chicago Bulls three years ago at the fourth pick. Um, he's been interested in Franz Wagner before. I've heard he had some interest in Mobley. And, you know, with the Pelicans, they've got the assets to pretty much do whatever they want, right? So you can throw all this glut of first. They've got young talent, young stars to go get the guy that you really want if he's there. So I think Scoot Henderson represents just another avenue, kind of like those in the past. So when I look at this draft, the 14th position isn't a good one, guys. I feel like the best talent sitting there probably in the top 10 to 11. And after that, it's going to take a lot of development for whoever you take after that. So like Derek Lively, um, Nick Smith out of Arkansas, I think those guys are going to take minimum two to three years. As for the Pelicans, they're ready to win now. So even though Scoot Henderson would be a rookie coming in, you can see how quickly he could probably make an impact because his talent's undeniable. To me, he's a mix between, say, an Allen Iverson, 
and maybe like a Derrick Rose, right? So he's going to step on into the league and he's going to be able to give you 20 points, maybe not the most efficient, but 20 points and do a lot of other things, right? Because he's he's elite, right? He's an elite athlete, quick first step. So you look at the Pelicans guard situation, CJ McCollum, right? He's getting up there older in age. You're going to need to start thinking about somebody, you know, taking over the reins for him someday. And I'm not sure if you can rely on Kyra Lewis doing that, right? I mean, he shows the glimpses, but overall he doesn't have that impact. So Pelicans, I don't think they're, they like, like I said, what they see there at 14. So they're either probably thinking of trading back, trading out or moving up. And, you know, Scoot and Wimbim Yama are two of the best talents to come in the league in the last five years. But if they're going to go all the way up and get a guy like Scoot, let's just say that's what they're planning to do. Is it possible to do that without giving up either Zion or Brandon Ingram? Great question. I don't think it is, right? If you're Charlotte, why would you get a, give away such a talent for anything less than one of those two guys? The Portland Trailblazers, if Scoot was to fall three, make it more interesting, right? If you're going to keep Damian Lillard, what does he need? Defensive players, um, good role players, right? So a combination package starting with maybe Trey Murphy, Herb Jones might, you know, get them to the table. But if I'm the Pelicans and everything we've heard from them is they want to start winning now and Griff was disappointed and they really want to get deep into the playoffs, I think as soon as starting next year, trading one of B.I., Zion, or like I said, a package of Herb and Trey really makes little sense, right, to me. So I think this is more of the Pelicans, honestly, just kicking, you know, looking underneath every rock like they've done in the past as to where I don't think they're all gung-ho set on we're going to go with Scoot and then whatever's left and we're going to take a big chunk out of our roster out and maybe it'll take a year or two to regroup. I just don't see that really being their number one plan. We're talking with Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Uh, Ali, we're not going to get into why Zion's been in the news last week because uh, that's not the kind of show fodder we have here. But my question is, it's got to be exhausting for the Pelicans organization to have another offseason dominated by Zion and some distractions, correct? Has to be, absolutely. You want a clean offseason to where he – just focuses on himself, comes into a season, and you feel confident that he's going to get through most of the schedule, right? And look, I think he missed an opportunity of maybe going to the finals game last night, right? There's a picture circling that Willie Green was there, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones. Zion should have gone. <laughs> I'm sorry, somebody should have called him, his friends, you name it, said, hey, you've been in, in, in kind of the not-so-good side of news lately. Maybe you should go and change that a little bit, make a finals appearance with some of your teammates. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping that we start seeing some better things out of him, hearing better things, because it, it's time. We'll wrap it up with this. It's an interesting offseason for me because there's going to be a lot of emphasis put on what's going to happen with some all-star point guards, right? Dame Lillard, Chris Paul, Kyrie Irving. Are those guys going to be the first dominoes to fall in free agency, or could it be somebody else? I think it's going to be Damian Lillard. Um, Portland, you know, I'm still trying to make sense of what they're trying to do. They've tried to rebuild around Dame now for several years, and it hasn't worked at all. So I think their only option is to move on from him. question is, where does he end up? Because it's hard to find a landing spot. Miami I mean, would work. 
Yeah, Miami, Philly, but I'm saying in terms of having the assets that Portland wants back, right? Oh, Getting okay. a deal that satisfies both sides, it's so hard to find. So maybe they're pigeonholed into having to keep him and try and rebuild around it. So, like I said, that's the first domino for me. Then it's Harden, then it's Kyrie. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Harden. That's right, because he's going to have to determine what his future is as well. So that's going to be kind of interesting. Russell Westbrook, right? He'll be out there as well. Is that correct? Ollie? Yeah, it sounds like that the Clippers really want him back. But, hey, I don't know if how much they're willing to pay him, right? And, you know, say if everybody's healthy out there, when's that happen last time? I don't know. But maybe he wants a bigger role, right? Like, for instance, Harden, he really wants to go to Houston. I think he wants to retire there, and championships honestly don't matter to him. Oh, no. I'm not sure what's driving Russell Westbrook. It is fascinating, as always. Ollie, appreciate your time. Keep up the tremendous work there with the bird rights, my friend. And enjoy um, the offseason and try to get you some relaxation, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast, Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog from Tiger Details, and Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. Reminder, Astros return home tonight to begin a three-game series against those Washington Nationals. You can catch all the action live right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Astro launch begins at 640. First pitch from Minute Maid Park is set for 710. That's live Astros baseball on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got a little bit of a tip for you, D'Lo. You ready? It's time for me to pass down some wisdom. Are you prepared? So, going out of town this weekend to cover the first two games of the College World Series for LSU. Going to be heading out on Friday. Won't be coming back until late Tuesday night. Making it up to Omaha, road tripping with my guy Tony from Ville Platte. So, I, we make this decision yesterday. I have to let the family know and so, you know, the family always gets a little bummed when I have to leave to go out of town, right? Because, you know, you're going to be gone for multiple days and everything like that. So I'm talking to my daughter, and she's a little down, and I go, hey, what if Daddy makes sure to bring you home something from his trip to Nebraska? And she all of a sudden turned, and she goes, okay, it has to be an awesome plushie because I have to add that to – her collection of stuffed animals she goes i need another stuffy and it needs to be one that i haven't had before dad can you make that happen if you make that happen dad i'll be okay with you leaving 
I thought you were going ice cream there, but it's actually a little bit more involved <laughs> no, for you. So no. Um, no, so I have to make sure to buy the proper uh, stuffy, the stuffed animal, to bring home to my daughter. Uh, that way she'll deal with me being out of town for about four or five days. My wife, on the other hand, uh, I've told her I will try to get my hands on some sort of steaks. I was going to say the Omaha steaks, yep. Could do that. Could do that. So just, you know, hey, just, you know, tell your kids you'll bring them back something. When you get to that point, you'll have children. You just say, Daddy, sorry that it has to go out of town, but I will bring you back something. And that usually takes care of it. Yeah. No, that's. There you go. That's that well, certainly, and um, no, I think the field's interesting. I are I, well, you're not going to be there in time to see the mighty Oral Roberts play, so I correct. I, I will not be uh, there. We won't be getting to Omaha until Saturday. Now, if they win on Friday, then you might get a chance to see him play on Sunday. This is correct. That'll this is be correct. exciting for you. Yes, it will be. Thank you. Their sweat-stained hats will be in full force. I'm sure they're not. I don't think they're going to wash them. Uh, they probably want. You know, baseball is a super. You know, a, a sport filled with superstition. Poll question of the day: Speaking of the College World Series, which unseeded team will make the longest run in Omaha at the Men's College World Series? Forty-eight percent of you say TCU. Twenty-eight percent say Oral Roberts, and twenty-four percent of you say Tennessee. Thanks to all who voted, and all of you who left your comments. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. Well, that's going to do it for this tremendous Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. We'll be back on tomorrow. We'll get a preview of the U.S. Open from PGATour.com's reporter Kevin Price and so much more. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to of one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.